Well, can I thank the Reverend McIntyre for the invitation and the word of welcome. It's good to be with you tonight and to be able to share an update of the work of the TBS. Uh, here's what I'd like to do tonight. I'd like to begin, first of all, in the Word of God, and we're turning to Ephesians chapter 6. And after we have a message from Scripture, I'll share with you some of the core activities of the society, who we are and what we seek to do. And then a little insight to some of our translation work. We currently have 61 projects that we're working on. I'll not mention them all tonight, but I'll mention two to leave with you for your prayers, the Bemba and the Turkish. And then some updates on our distribution work, a little insight to our scripture posters, and then some brief news and prayer requests to leave with you. But first of all, we're turning to scripture and Ephesians chapter 6 and we're reading from the verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance, and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word to us here tonight. It's verse 17 I would like to leave with you this evening, where Paul says, and take the helmet of salvation, but particularly we're thinking on the latter part, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, whenever the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus, he didn't seek to give it a dramatic conclusion. He didn't look to spice it up a little to try and get their attention and their interest. He didn't throw in this piece about spiritual warfare to try and scare them into submission. No, the Apostle Paul was writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Apostle Peter teaches us, that holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So God, the Holy Spirit, moved Paul to write this to the church at Ephesus. But this is not just something that is applicable to the church at Ephesus. No, what was written aforetime was written for our learning. So as the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He gives them um, a, a word of advice, a word of warning. 
He, he teaches them that there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. Look at the exhortation he gives in verse 10. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says, don't look to yourselves for strength for these spiritual battles that you will face in life. Look to the Lord, be strong in him. And then he gives instruction in verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God. He doesn't say, pick your favorite pieces of armor and put those on. Put on the bits that you like, that you're familiar with. Don't just put on the pieces that are fashionable and trendy. No, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Don't leave a single piece out. You need it all. And then he gives the reason that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So Paul is saying here that if you don't put on the whole armor, you'll not be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He warns the believers you need every single piece of armor for the spiritual warfare that you are engaged in. And then he reminds them in verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And dear friends, as the apostle wrote this to the church at Ephesus, it is something that the Spirit moved him to write, and it is something that is applicable to us today. And we are to take heed to what is written for us. But as Paul writes to address this issue of spiritual warfare, he uses the illustration of the soldier's armor. He paints a very simple picture. And of course, the church at Ephesus and the believers there would have been very familiar with the armory of the Roman soldier. It's something they would have been able to visualize as they read Paul's letter. But we're thinking about uh, the sixth piece of the armor, where Paul says, take the sword of the Spirit. Five very brief headings just to leave with you this evening as we think of the sword of the Spirit. But before I come to the headings, let me just say, well, actually, we'll give the first heading. The first heading is the provision of the sword. The Apostle Paul says, and take the sword of the Spirit. Now, I'm ever so thankful that the Apostle Paul, writing under inspiration, told us what the sword of the Spirit is, because if he didn't tell us what the sword of the Spirit is, we would have all kinds of churches giving us fanciful interpretations as to what the sword of the Spirit is today. Well, he tells us it is the Word of God. It's not entertainment. It's not drama. It's not um, dreams or visions or anything like that. No, it's the Word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There's the provision of the sword. How did God provide us with the Word of God? Well, very simply, the Apostle Peter says that holy men of God or sorry, yes, Peter says, holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God that is breathed out from the mouth of God. So the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is a breathed out word. It's breathed out from the mouth of God. The human writer wrote down perfectly, word for word, what the Holy Spirit moved him to write. It wasn't the general thought or idea. The Spirit gave him the exact message that he was to record. So, dear friends, we are not left to try and discover what the sword of the Spirit is. God has provided it for us. He has put it in our hands, even 
this very evening. But can I say that God has provided the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, exclusively? Paul does not deviate and say, take earthly wisdom, take education, take knowledge, take good works, take self-righteousness, take your dreams and visions and tongue speaking. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, take the sword of the Spirit exclusively. That is the only weapon that you need for the spiritual battle. Problems come in our personal life, and problems come in the life of the church whenever we substitute the sword of the Spirit for another means. I remember somebody uh, telling me in Scotland whenever I pastored a church there, I met up with him during the week, and I said, well, how was your service on the Lord's Day? And he said, you know, the singing was so good that we didn't even need the preaching uh, uh, of the word in the service. He says, we were all just taken up with the singing. Well, dear friends, that is a church that has left the sword of the Spirit outside the door. We're not to substitute the Word of God. This is the, what God has provided for the spiritual battle in our own life and in the life of the church. Sadly, today, many are looking for help anywhere but the Bible, even those who profess to be Christians. Many Christians have taken to reading self-help books more than reading Scripture motivational talks have replaced sermons in many churches and in many pulpits. Well, dear friend, God has provided for us in the spiritual battles the Word of God, and He has provided it exclusively. Secondly, let's think of the purity of the Word. We've thought of the provision of the Word, now the purity of the Word. I was doing a bit of research on swords got a bit carried away with it, but I was reading about the Japanese, and apparently they're excellent at sword making, and there's a special type of Japanese sword, I'll not try to pronounce it, but um, the, the, the artist goes to great effort to manufacture it. He gets the metal, he, he puts it into the fire to refine it, he brings it out, and he folds it, and then he puts it back in the fire again to purify it once more, brings it out, folds it, and he does this 17 times to make sure that all impurities are removed from it and that the sword is as strong as possible. Well, the Apostle Paul, or sorry, the Psalmist David in Psalm 12 tells us that the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. So, dear friends, we do not have the impure Word of God. Think about it logically. If the word comes from the mouth of God, if it's breathed out from the mouth of God himself, then it must be a pure word. God cannot say anything that's impure. He cannot say anything that's corrupt. It must be pure if it comes from the mouth of God. And then if the Holy Spirit recorded men to write it down, then the Holy Spirit would not allow those men to corrupt the word. So they wrote down the pure word of God. Now, sadly, there are those today, and they say, well, it was pure in the original manuscripts, but we don't have the Word of God. They say God allowed His Word to be corrupted down through the centuries, and at best, we're working and doing our best, trying to piece together the jigsaw pieces uh, from history. But that isn't true, because God promised in His Word that He would preserve His Word. Back to Psalm 12, the words of the Lord are pure words, the silver tried in the furnace of earth. Thou shalt preserve them, O Lord, 
thou shalt preserve them from this generation and forever. The Lord Jesus Christ said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Psalm 119 verse 89 tells us, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So, dear friends, the Lord Jesus put his seal upon the whole of the Old Testament. If there had been anything that shouldn't have been there, he would have told us, but he put his seal upon the whole of the Old Testament. We have, as God has promised, the word of God preserved down through the ages. Think about it again. There are three main pillars that underpin the word of God. Inspiration. If God has not breathed out the word, then we're working with a corrupt text. So it has to be fully inspired. That's the first pillar. Secondly, it has to be inerrant. That is pure, without corruption. And it is. And the third pillar is preservation. If God has not preserved his word, then we don't have the inerrant word and we don't have the inspired word. The men who wrote the Westminster Confession, the Westminster Divines, they believed in the doctrine of preservation. Chapter 1, verse 8, they wrote, that the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek being immediately inspired by God, and here's the important phrase, and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all ages are therefore authentical. They believed in preservation that God has kept his word pure in all ages. Now down through history, the Presbyterians and the Baptists and the Congregationalists haven't agreed on an awful lot. But if you look at the Confessions of Faith, the Second London Baptist, the Savoy Declaration, the Westminster Confession, they all have that exact same statement. The one thing they all united upon was that God has preserved his word. Well, he preserved it. I'm getting carried away here. I have another couple of points. He preserved it by having scribes who have copied the word. God appointed scribes in the Old Testament, scribes in the New Testament, who copied the word faithfully and diligently. At the time of the Protestant Reformation, whenever the available manuscripts were gathered together and collated, the vast majority, over 99% of them, were found to be in such unity and harmony. They said this is God's providentially preserved word. Any manuscript that was way off was rejected for not being part of the providentially preserved text. Sadly today, Many will try to tell us we don't have the pure word of God. And I don't mean the unconverted. I mean even within the professing church. That's why there's many Bibles today are missing verses. That's why there are those so-called apologetics or apologists who are on YouTube and they're trying to tell us that the last 12 verses of Mark's gospel should not be in our Bible. They've even managed to persuade uh, popular evangelicals like John MacArthur who now subscribes to that school of thought that the last 12 verses of Mark's gospel should be taken out of your Bible. Why? Because thousands of manuscripts are missing the last 12 verses? No, there's only two manuscripts missing the last 12 verses of Mark, Codex Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus. We have the pure word of God. The sword of the Spirit is a pure word. Thirdly, I'll be quicker here, the purpose of the sword. You'll notice that the sword is very different from all the other pieces of armory. All the other pieces are given for defense. The helmet is to defend you. The breastplate is to defend you. The sword is different. The purpose of the sword, well, there's two purposes. First of all, to protect us. The, the sword does protect from attack. 
and the Word of God does protect us by strengthening our faith. It repels the enemy. James says in chapter 4, verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, how do we do that? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us how in his temptation. Matthew 4, verse 4, whenever the devil came to him, what did Christ do? He quoted scripture. Well, the devil misquoted scripture, but the Savior rebuked the devil by quoting scripture to him. So we can protect ourselves in spiritual warfare by knowing scripture and using scripture. But the purpose of the sword, I believe, is for attack or advancement. Christ's kingdom advances where the word of God goes. And it's that simple. Where the word of God goes, where the gospel goes, Christ's kingdom extends and advances. This is the only weapon in the Christian armory. The apostle does not say to the church of Ephesus, there's many different swords. He says there's one sword. There's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, I had to take the prayer meeting in, uh, for the TBS this morning, and we were reading in Mark's um, Gospel. And in chapter 13, uh, I was thinking about this verse um, uh, earlier on. And in verse 10, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. And I might preach on that uh, sometime soon. But um, that as the gospel is preached in all nations, uh, then the word of God advances in those nations. As God, as, as the Lord Jesus calls his elect onto himself, then the gospel and his kingdom is advancing. And it is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that the Lord uses for the advancement of the church. Think of the Protestant Reformation. It didn't kick off whenever Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the uh, uh, castle door in Wittenberg. That event went largely unnoticed at the time. The Reformation really kicked in when Bibles rolled off the printing presses, when they were smuggled into England in bales of hay, whenever the Bible was read and preached in churches, whenever fathers gathered their children around the Word of God by the fireside and taught it to them, that is when the Reformation really happened. We can look at revivals in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and they all center around the Word of God. The revival or the Reformation under Josiah. In Ezra's day, whenever he caused them to understand, that is when uh, God moved. So the purpose of the sword is for the advancement of the church. Fourthly, the power of the sword. There's power in a sword. Well, there's many swords uh, in the world uh, that, that are useless. They're blunt swords. They have no sharpness. They have no power or strength. But we can't say that about the Word of God. Hebrews 4 verse 12 tells us, For the Word of God is quick, that is living, alive, and it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's power in the Word of God. There's power to convert a sinner, to bring them from a life of wickedness, a life of gross immorality and debauchery, to save them from addiction and make them new creatures in Christ. There's power in the Word of God to take that proud-hearted, self-righteous sinner and humble them before the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's power in this Word, power as it's preached, 
power as it's displayed outside churches and on bus stops and train stations. There's power in God's Word to do great and wondrous things. Whenever Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, oh, well, the disciples didn't have a lot of money to run a great advertising campaign. They weren't able to rent the finest of buildings. No, Peter preached the Word and the Spirit moved. 3,000 were swept into the kingdom. Paul preached and Felix trembled at his preaching and so forth. Well, the sword and the Spirit work together in unity. The Word by itself is effectively a dead letter. It's ink upon a page. It needs the Holy Spirit to accompany it and to make it effectual in the heart and soul of a sinner. And likewise, the Holy Spirit cannot work where the Word is not present. Think about it. How can a person believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if they've never heard of Him, if they've never heard the gospel preached, if they've never had the Scriptures in their hand to read of Him? The Holy Spirit cannot regenerate a soul who has never heard of Christ. The two work together. Paul says, how can they believe on Him of whom they have not heard? And very simply, they can't. Well, for the sword to be powerful in our lives, we must be familiar with it. That Roman soldier running out into the battlefield, he's not going to suddenly pick up a sword for the first time as he runs out and say, well, this is heavier than I thought, or, or what do I do with this? No, he would have had that sword. He would have practiced with it day and daily. He would have had preparation for the battlefield. That sword would become an extension of his hand, and he would be skilled in using it. And so you and I must be skilled in the use of the sword. Carrying the Bible about in our car as some sort of lucky charm well, uh, is not effective use of the sword of the Spirit. We must know our Bibles. Fifthly, finally, the prevailing of the sword. Isaiah 55, verse 11. The Lord says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. The Lord takes ownership of it. He says, It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Many people don't have faith or confidence in the Word of God today. Preaching is relegated, it's minimalized to the sideline. It's sort of an add-on in uh, the lives of many people, even Bible reading and Bible study as well. But the Lord has the greatest of faith, the greatest of confidence in His Word. It will not return unto me void. We need to have faith in the sword, and we need to have faith in using it. The sword prevails in the hands of those who trust it and use it. The Lord Jesus Christ used this sword throughout his ministry. When the lawyer came to him in Luke 10 and, say, and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The Lord took him to the Word. He said, What is written in the law? How readest thou? To the Jews in Solomon's porch in John 10, 34, Jesus answered them and says, Is it not written in your law? He took them back to the Word. Many people think for the advancement of Christ's kingdom, we all need to be great apolo uh, apologists in a wide variety of different schools, in philosophy and in science and so forth. No, we just need to wield the Word of God, and it will prevail. We have seen it prevail down through the centuries. As the Word of God is preached, revival happens. Revival comes around the preaching of 
the word. It's the prevailing of the sword. Well, bringing this brief message to a close, uh, thinking about David. David had two, well, he had many battles in life. The first great battle, I suppose, was with Goliath. The second great battle was whenever King Saul was seeking to persecute him. Whenever David was fleeing from Saul, he went to Ahimelech and hid with him. And he said, I need a sword. And Ahimelech said, well, the only sword I have here is Goliath's sword. Whenever David heard about Goliath's sword, he recalled how that sword had been used mightily in his hand. After David knocked over Goliath with the stone, he went up to Goliath, took out Goliath's sword and cut off the giant's head. He remembered that it was God who'd give him the victory. The sword was only the means. God gave him the victory in that sword. And David had fond memories of wielding that sword and the blessings that followed. And he said, there's none like it. Give it me. Well, the more we wield the sword of the Spirit, the more we trust it, the more we employ it and use it in our own personal lives and for the advancement of the church and Christ's gospel, the more we will see uh, the wondrous working of it. And the more we'll say like David, there's none like it. Give it me. This sword is what Christ has ordained for the advancement of his church. That's why the work of the Bible Society is so important. Uh, There's many important missionary endeavors in the world, but the most important thing we can ever do for a needy sinner is put the Word of God in their hands so that they can read about our Redeemer and the way of salvation and redemption through His blood. Well, may the Lord bless His Word to us here tonight. I'd like to move on now, share with you a little insight to the work of the society. I'm always mindful that it might be your first time at a meeting. You're maybe not familiar with who we are and what we do. Well, for the last 190 years, that's how old we are, we have been translating the Bible, printing the Bible, and distributing the Bible. We can explain our work best uh, under our five main activities. First of all, translation. We translate the Word of God from the Hebrew Masoretic Old Testament and the Greek Textus Receptus of the New Testament into many of the different languages of the world. Now, some people um, perhaps aren't aware that not all Bibles are translated from the same Hebrew Old Testament and Greek New Testament texts. Sadly, today, there's many who reject the old paths who reject what uh, the providentially preserved word that the church has used uh, down through the centuries, favoring instead a more eclectic modern text. Well, we hold to the great texts of the Protestant Reformation, which of course have their origins throughout church history and have always been in the church. Once we've finished translating the Bible, which isn't sort of done overnight, On average, it takes about 15 years from start to finish to get a whole Bible translated. Once we have finished translating, we then get it typeset and we get it printed and then we distribute the Word of God. Now, we don't send out missionaries to go door to door with the Word of God. Uh, We believe that is the job of the local church. We see ourselves as the handmaid of the church, there to help the church by producing translations and printing of God's Word quite often free of charge or heavily subsidized 
so the church can do the work of evangelism. We uphold the great Protestant doctrines of the inspiration and inerrancy and preservation of the Word of God, as you've heard of tonight. Uh, these are doctrines that are under great attack in the visible church today. In fact, I had uh, a young man contact me last week who started a Bible college in Northern Ireland, not ours. He started a Bible college in Northern Ireland, and he texted me to say that he was very dismayed that one of his lecturers does not believe in the inspiration of the last 12 verses of Mark's gospel. And this is, in a Bible college here, a lecturer denying the inspiration and, well, also the inerrancy and the preservation of Mark's gospel. Uh, but we seek to hold these vital truths and um, uh, in our day and generation. We promote Bible translations which are accurate and trustworthy. We're not out to corner a market. We're not seeking to produce a Bible translation if there's already a faithful Bible translation there. Uh, we're not in this for commercial gains. If there's already a faithful Bible in a certain language, we're more than happy to promote it. And then we publish a wide variety of scriptural items uh, in many different languages, uh, Bibles, New Testaments, Gospels, calendars, Gospel tracts, and other items as well. Well, moving on to mention some of our translation work. We currently have 66 projects that we are working on. This time last year, it was 45. So in the last year, the Lord has raised up 21 new projects that we are involved in. And this is a tremendous answer to prayer because we often ask people to pray for the Lord to raise up laborers who will give themselves to this vital work of translating the Bible into their own mother tongue. And uh, we're, we're so thankful that the Lord has answered prayer and we now have more projects ongoing. But there's still uh, many thousands of languages that have absolutely no scripture at all. So there's still a great need for more translators to be raised up. These are some of the recent projects uh, that have been printed in the last two years. We have printed four Bibles and four New Testaments and four Gospels of John, as well as the Chinese Gospels, Romans and Hebrews. Now, we printed our Nepali Bible several years ago, and there's been a huge demand for it. And we've gone through several reprints of the Nepali Bible, which is really encouraging because there's some languages uh, we maybe don't even do a second reprint. Uh, there's really no appetite for them. But with so many people reading the Nepali Bible, we've been able to get feedback on it, and we've been able to make some improvements um, uh, on our Nepali Bible, uh, which is quite a common practice. If you think about the English, uh, we first had John Wycliffe translating from the Latin Vulgate, then we had Tyndale uh, doing the New Testament, then Coverdale, then a variety of other Bibles up until we got the authorized version. So we've produced a second edition of the Nepali Bible, which has been printed and is well received. And I'll mention some more of these other um, ones in the next, uh, well, a little later on. But these are some of the projects we have upcoming. So the last two years have been extremely busy, and the next two years are going to be busy as well. We have uh, four Bibles that we hope to have completed, six New Testaments and six Gospels of John printed for the first time. We generally start with the Gospel of John. The translators translate that. We then print it uh, while they work on the rest of the New Testament. 
and then while the New Testament is, uh, when it is finished, we print it, while the translators move on to the Old Testament. And on average, it takes about 15 years to get all that completed. So there's some languages here. If you take the Spanish, if you take the Chinese and the French and the Hindi there, uh, it, it works out roundabout roughly 2 billion people. So there we have projects uh, to reach a, a vast amount of people in the world. So we're, uh, but there's also languages there that um, you, you might not be familiar with, the, the Kalijin or the, the Zalv or the Chichewa. And these are for much smaller groups of people. But there are still souls who need to receive the Word of God, who need a faithful Bible in their own mother tongue. Well, two projects to mention for you here tonight. First of all, the BEMBA. In 2017, we partnered with the Free Grace Evangelistic Association to produce a new edition of the BEMBA New Testament. Now, BEMBA is a major Bantu language spoken in Zambia, spoken by the BEMBA people and a further 18 related ethnic groups. And this makes BEMBA the most spoken indigenous language in Zambia. Uh, where there's around 4 million speakers. You'll see there just um, in towards the south of Africa, that is the area where most of the Bemba speakers are located. Zambia is a beautiful country. It's landlocked, it's hidden from the sea, but it's full of rugged terrain and diverse wildlife with many parks and safari areas. There's 10 provinces in Zambia and Bemba is spoken in the central and northeastern regions. Now, the Bemba people are commonly referred to as the forest people. Um, they live in rural villages uh, made up of wattle and daub huts with grass as the roof. Disease is still a massive part of their life. There'd be many tropical diseases such as malaria and malnutrition is also affiliated with their culture. The life expectancy of the Bemba females is only 54 years of age and for the males it's only 52 that's about 30 years less life expectancy than us here in the United Kingdom. Now, they do have their own traditional religion. They believe in a God called Luza, who controls basically everything. But Christian missionaries went amongst the Bemba people uh, at the start of the 19th century, and a good number of them were converted to faith in Christ. But sadly today, many of, or for many of the Bemba people, Christianity is their nominal religion. I was speaking in England earlier this year, and I met a lady uh, whose family are from uh, the Bemba people in Zambia. In fact, her mother was born there, but whenever her mother got married, she moved to England, had her family in England, but then her mother moved back to live amongst the Bemba people in her later years. And this lady from England, she goes and visits her mother uh, amongst the Bemba people, and she said, uh, they, uh, although they profess to be Christians, she says it's a nominal Christianity. They go to church, some of them, but they don't really know what it is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a, still a great need for the Lord to work amongst the Bemba people. There's four translators currently working on the translation. They finished the Gospel of John and printed it, and they are making good progress on the rest of the New Testament. And here's a short video where one of the translators explains the need for a new Bemba translation.
is translated renewal so that all those things which are missing and vessels basically must be uh, uh, added to the Bible. The blessings of the Bible translation are that people will get the scripture in their own language and largely kept in a native way. They will be transformed as they discover Jesus Christ and enter into a right relationship with God. I'm grateful they continue the work and pray also for those who are handing out copies of the Gospel of John. This is a picture of Victoria Falls on the border with Zimbabwe. We were told the story recently of a mission, uh, a man who works for a missionary group and he was going from Zambia into Zimbabwe and he had suitcases full of scripture and the customs uh, men, they thought, well, this uh, scripture must be worth something. So they were determined that uh, he wasn't getting through unless he paid a bribe or uh, some sort of levy to get uh, across the border. But this man was determined also that he wasn't paying. Uh, so he asked to speak to the manager and the manager came out and he looked in the suitcase and he saw it was scripture. And he said, I'll let you go uh, through without charge if you give each of these men uh, a copy of your scripture. And he was happy to do that, to share the word of God and get into the country. Well, the next one to mention is the Turkish New Testament, and you'll be glad I'm not covering all 61 here tonight, but the Turkish New Testament. Uh, the scriptures make many references to the land that you and I know as the Republic of Turkey. In Genesis 15, we read of the Hittites, the, the Apostle Paul, his hometown of Tarsus is in modern-day Turkey, as are most of the places from his missionary journeys. The Apostle Peter wrote to the scattered strangers, they are all modern-day Turkey, as are the seven churches that John wrote to in the book of Revelation. And church history was very busy in this region as well. So there's a great Christian heritage in the land uh, of Asia Minor that you and I know as Turkey. Now, in terms of the language, under the Ottoman Empire, the form of the language became known as Turkish. And it was a very um, widely spoken language. The Ottoman Empire extended uh, throughout a vast region. So Turkish was written in several different scripts, Arabic, Armenian, and Cyrillic. But in the 1920s, when Turkey underwent some reforms, they adopted the Latin alphabet as the standard written form of the language. Now, in terms of religion, Christianity permeated Asia Minor through those early centuries. But the growth of the Ottoman Empire in the 15th century brought with it a close association with Islam. The Ottomans were the custodians of all of Islam's holy sites. So Islam and the Ottoman Empire were perceived to be inseparable. 
In the 1920s, the Turkey underwent a number of reforms. They declared themselves to be a secular republic. But the reality today is very different. In fact, there's a cultural expectation that if you are Turkish, you're expected to be Muslim. There's around 10 different minorities in Turkey, um, uh, Kurds, Jews, Gypsies, and others. But in terms of evangelical Christians, in a population of over 80 million people, there's less than 2,000 evangelical Christians in the land of Turkey today. So there's a great need for uh, the Word of God to go into that land once again. Now, there's a, a bit of a history with the Turkish Bible. Going back to 1657, a man by the name of Ali Bey began translating the Bible into Turkish, which was quite remarkable because the man wasn't a Christian whenever he started. But by the time he'd finished translating, the Lord had done a work of grace in his heart, and he seems to have professed and accepted the truth of Christianity. But sadly, nobody printed his work, and it lay in the university library uh, for 150 years until it was printed in 1819. They do have the Bible in modern Turkish. Sadly, it's not from the Hebrew Masoretic and the Greek Textus Receptus, and it's also a very loose translation by translation standards. It's more of a dynamic translation rather than formal equivalence. So we've been working for well over 20 years now on our Turkish New Testament. In 2002, we printed the Gospel of John. We've reprinted it twice since then. We have completed the New Testament and 7,500 copies have been printed and are on their way to Turkey. Sadly, our lead translator died in 2017, and he never got to see the fruit of his 20 years of labor. He did uh, finish uh, a lot of work in the Old Testament, and the rest of the team is finishing that off before it will be checked and printed. So please pray for Turkey. There's not just Turkish speakers in Turkey, there's 2 million uh, Turkish speakers in Germany, 750,000, I think it's uh, Bulgaria, and there's about 100,000 in Greece and 150,000 in Cyprus. So there's uh, quite a large number of uh, diaspora throughout Europe um, who can benefit from these scriptures. And uh, pray that the Lord uh, would awaken that land of Asia Minor once again. Well, moving on to our distribution work. We distribute scripture in two ways. We sell Bibles to those who can afford to buy them. We believe that if people can afford, they should pay for the Word of God. They will appreciate it a lot more. And in the last two years, we have sold 8.2 million scriptural items. Bibles, New Testaments, Gospels, calendars, and other items as well. And then proceeds from our sales go into our grant fund that enables us to give away scripture. In the last two years, we have given away 3.7 million scriptural items. Now, there's still people in the world who cannot afford to buy Scripture. In Africa, uh, some parts of Africa, a Bible could set you back the equivalent of one month's salary. So you imagine if you needed a Bible for your house and you had to forgo a month's salary or save to try and buy a Bible. It would take you a long time. Bibles are also quite hard to find in many parts of Africa as well. I was told the story recently of a couple and they uh, were looking a Bible, so they traveled a three-day journey to a city 
to try and find a Bible. When they got to the city, they searched the city. They couldn't find one, and they returned home empty-handed. And that story can be replicated throughout many parts of the world. So our grant program seeks to provide scripture to those in need. Recently, we finished our Simte Bible. For 11 years, we've been revising our Simte translation. The Simte language is still a developing language, so there was a need to improve the accuracy of our 1992 translation. And we haven't printed it in many years, so many Simte people have never had their own copy of the Word of God. Simte is a language spoken by the Simte people in northeastern India, mainly in Manipur. And this is a video of the Simte Bible arriving for the first time in a generation uh, to the Simte people, and you'll see the excitement on their faces. I didn't watch the whole video, but one of uh, my bosses said they were that excited about every box that came off the lorry. And they queued uh, out through the church and they down into the street to get their hands on their own copy of God's Word. Uh, once uh, the Bibles were distributed in different places, they held a service of thanksgiving to praise God that they finally had uh, the Bible in their hands. Uh, my one of my managers was telling me that he's never known a group of people so eager to get the Bible translated. He said once the translation was finished, he said they would phone up and they'd say, has it been typeset yet? And then they would phone up and say, has it been sent to the printer yet? And then they would phone up, has the printer printed it? Has it been printed? Has it been loaded into a container? Has the container left the factory? Has the container uh, arrived in India? When will the container be released from customs? Just so eager to get their hands on the copy of God's Word. So refreshing to see. Well, we do the Bible in a couple of other different languages that are relevant today. We do the Bible in Russian. We do the Bible in uh, Ukrainian as well. Uh, we have to be honest, whenever uh, the war broke out, uh, the Ukrainian Bible had been going out of our warehouse at quite a slow rate. But within a matter of days, our remaining stock was sold uh, and we give thanks to God that there was a hunger uh, for the Word of God. So we had to get a new print of the Ukrainian Bible, and that's due in in the next couple of days. But most of them have been pre-ordered, so we're not going to have to do another order as well. We did an urgent print of the Gospel of John, and most of those uh, sold out within a matter of months. And the Russian Bible has been um, a, a mainstay for the society. Uh, even before the Cold War ended, we were getting Bibles into Russia. I have one in my study, at, um, although our Bible says Holy Bible on it, the Russian Bibles were just blank covers so that they weren't detected going in. 
But we distribute about 25,000 Russian scriptures a year in the land of Russia. And that has increased uh, in recent months because they speak Ukrainian in the west of Ukraine, but they speak Russian in the east of Ukraine. So in the areas where there's quite a bit of fighting, uh, there's a real need for Russian scriptures there. Just another couple of quick pictures here. We uh, distributed Bibles for free to young people in India and the Philippines. This is a pallet of Bibles arriving in Harare in Zimbabwe last year for free distribution. In Malawi, the Chichewa New Testament was given out free of charge and English Bibles in South Sudan. These children at a Sabbath school in Nigeria received a Bible uh, for the first time. And one of the teachers wrote to us saying, thank you for making our children smile. And these workers at a health clinic. We partnered with a Bible society in the Netherlands a couple of years ago uh, to give out free um, Spanish New Testaments. They paid for 100,000 to be given out free of charge. And those are some of the pictures where the word of God has gone. And Venezuela is a very hard country to get scripture into. Uh, it's isolated from the rest of the world. It has sanctions opposed against it. But in neighboring Colombia, there's a church and a group of young people carry the boxes of New Testaments across the border into Venezuela, pay a very small customs fee, and then post them inside Venezuela. And so far, the young people have carried around 5,000 New Testaments across the border. One of the men overseeing this is a man by the name of Plinio. Fifteen years ago, Plinio was a member of a Satan-worshipping gang. Him and his friends used to drink animal blood in ritualistic services to the devil. They were going out to commit a robbery one day after having a service to the devil, drinking animal blood. And as they were walking down the street, they heard the local preacher quote 1 John 1 verse 9. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And that resonated with Plinio. And a short time later, he was converted and he's now a Reformed Baptist pastor in Colombia, sharing the word of God. One Bible verse quoted, and the Lord used it to waken that man from his sin and literally bring him from worshiping the devil into the kingdom of Christ. Well, our scripture posters have been uh, popular down through the years. We've paid to advertise on the London Underground, and many churches have used our posters uh, outside and uh, many scripture texts have even gone up in subways as well. We've recently commenced a, a bus stop poster campaign uh, where uh, people or churches can sponsor a bus stop in their local area and get the word of God out that way. Um, I was told the story recent, uh, earlier this year by a man in England. He says he was cycling to work one day and he stopped at the traffic lights and across the road there was a sign and outside a church, and it was one of our scripture posters. He said, I read the Bible verse, and then I cycled on my way. He says, I thought nothing of it. And then in his own words, he said, for the next two weeks, I couldn't get that Bible verse out of my head. It's all I could think about. He says, in the end, I give in. And I went to the church, and I heard the gospel, and I was converted. Well, that seed was planted with that Bible verse outside that church, and the Lord used it. Uh, for the conversion of that soul. So we should never underestimate. We get letters, emails all the time, people thanking us uh, for putting the word of God up uh, and the, how the Lord has used it in their life. Well, very quickly, we've been able to get uh, some of the Jubilee Bibles into uh, various schools. 
and there's a great overlap between the work of the uh, Mission Board and the TBS. These are some of the countries where we have shared missionary interests and where the Free Presbyterian missionaries will benefit from our translations in the coming years. Uh, Kakamba and Swahili are recent projects that have started and our missionaries in Kenya and Uganda will benefit from those in the days to come. The Kakamba project is um, progressing very well. The translator has nearly finished the Gospel of John, so we look forward to that being printed um, in the next couple of years. We also send grants to our missionaries in Uganda and Kenya. We recently sent a grant of Bibles to Uganda and New Testaments and Scripture items as well. Whenever um, news reached the wider community that Bibles were available at Emmanuel Christian School, a number of people visited the mission station and asked for copies of God's Word. And this is all the more amazing considering the Emmanuel School is in a Muslim and Roman Catholic area. And the outreach team was also able to give New Testaments and Bibles to uh, 30 inmates and 12 staff based at the local prison in Uganda. In Kenya, we were able to send 420 Bibles, 300 New Testaments, and 850 Scripture items, and they arrived last year, and they've been given out. As well as the printed page, we're looking to get our Scriptures online for the people who don't have access to the printed page, but they can go online and read it there. Some of our partners are producing audio Scriptures for the blind who cannot read, and for the many people in the world who haven't yet learned to read, they can listen to the Word of God that way. We're also working on a British Sign Language translation. It's a language in its own right. It has its own grammar, syntax, and vocabulary. And there's around 151,000 people in the UK who use sign language. So we're producing videos of the Word of God being communicated by this means, and they will be uploaded to our website. Please pray for our translators that they would be kept safe, that they would know help in their work, and uh, that the Lord would even raise up more translators. We bring out new items all the time. I direct you to our website. Uh, we have a new large print Bible that has proved very popular there. We have a new booklet out, and I have some copies of that with me tonight. That's free of charge. And there's also copies of our magazine and a leaflet about our upcoming um, conference that we're having in November as well. Just one verse to leave with you uh, tonight. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's what the Word of God does, dear friends. It converts the soul. But the Lord hasn't given the commission to angels to take the Word of God to sinners. He's given it to the church. We are the vessels, the instrument that God uses for the communication of the gospel, whether it's the preached word or the printed word. It's our responsibility to go to all the world and to share with God's precious word. Thank you for having us along and for your great interest in the work of these